Amen. And we are going to be in Revelation 18, although we're going to just make a couple of comments from 17. And like I say, I actually put it on the cutting room floor. I had a whole bunch of other 17 I was going to say, and then I said, you know, been in 17 for about three weeks, time to move to 18, you know, so we'll do that. And the sermon is called The Lament of Babylon's Lovers, Part 2, and I was telling Joe, um, that could be a little bit of false advertising. We won't actually get to their lament until next time, Part 3. So there's a lot of things to, to handle, a lot of things to cover here. Uh, chapter 18 and 19 go together, and what we see in Chapter 18, first of all, is the proclamation of the fall of Babylon. And then we see the lament of her lovers. Then we go into chapter 19 and we see heaven rejoicing over the destruction of Babylon. And then we see the end of the world and the final battle, which isn't a battle at all. God simply destroys these enemies with the word of his mouth. The next thing we know, we're at the great judgment. And so that's how far we've gotten here in the book of Revelation. And uh, Babylon now only lives symbolically. And she's always doomed to destruction, no matter how prosperous and how powerful she may appear. But uh, Babylon never really goes away. Babylon, spiritual Babylon, rises and falls. Literal Babylon is gone and and is no more and has been gone for for centuries, you know. But uh, spiritual Babylon will continue until the end of days. And uh, in chapter 19, we will see the final judgment of spiritual Babylon. Now, the beast, and we, we will look at this in, in 17, a couple things from 17. Um, the beast attempts to be like God. And his followers are those that are the dwellers on the earth. We see that in verse 8 of chapter 17. And then... I just uh, realized, realized I hadn't really brought this forward yet, and um, really I should. Look at verse 14 of chapter 17. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And we talked about that, King of kings and Lord of lords, but as I read it again, I realized, you know, It's so easy to let something slip by you that's so obvious, but you read it and it just doesn't really register unless you really stop and think and meditate upon it. Now I want you to look at the end of verse 14. Suppose that you didn't know anything about the doctrines of grace. Suppose that you're just reading the Bible and you're reading through it, you're reading through it, you're reading through it. When you came to understand the doctrines of grace, you kind of got a brand new Bible. And all of a sudden you see things that you never saw before. And you see this, okay, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and those with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Oh my. <laughs> you know, I don't know how more plain we can get when we're talking about the doctrines of grace, because there it is. They go together, called, chosen, faithful. Those who have been chosen before the foundation of the world are called in time, and they are faithful. Because that's what God does for us. And, um, you know, Pastor Ken made a point last week, and we've said it before too, that as you read your Bible, you need to take some time to slow down and digest it. And what a blessing, a truth regarding the doctrines of grace, simple, edifying truths that we can so easily miss on a surface reading. 
And I just know that myself as one that started reading the Bible at age 11 and then got a brand new Bible when I came to the Doctrines of Grace and saw things that I'd never had seen before, no matter how many times I'd read them. Well, the language of Revelation 17, 16 comes from Ezekiel. Uh, I won't take us there just for lack of time here, but you could see it and you could actually uh, if you have any kind of a, a Bible with a marginal note, it'll take you to Ezekiel, and you can see where the language is very much the same. We've been in 17 for a while. But we can find two primary reasons for the capture of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And the one we'll talk about tonight is spiritual, adult, spiritual adultery, which is idolatry. And uh, you see that from the book of Ezekiel. And we'll see it tonight in Isaiah and Jeremiah. And the second is their continual defiling of the Sabbath. And we see this from Jeremiah. And um, Jeremiah tells him that they'll be in captivity 70 years because the land will have her Sabbath rests that she's been denied all this time. So there's things that we could see there. But those are the two primary reasons uh, for the captivity and uh, it, it actually did work, even though uh, the people weren't always necessarily godly. And uh, to prepare for Messiah to come, um, she did remove the idols from her land. The idols were gone after the Babylonian captivity. And we see up until that time continually falling into idolatry. Well... You know, as, we're in chapter, as we were in chapter 17, I just uh, want to finish it with saying this. Uh, we would like to see how all this plays out uh, in the United States. How does it apply to us, you know? Well, we will see how it plays out with spiritual Babylon when it's finally destroyed for the end of days. But as far as our part, I don't know that we can possibly really fully understand uh, in the time that we live in uh, where we happen to be in these regards for things. We can certainly see uh, many wrong things of Babylon that are in our own country. Uh, but, um, you know, let's got to remember that really when you deal with prophecy, you're best to understand it once it's been fulfilled. And that doesn't always make people happy. People read it and they want to know what's going to happen, what's going to happen, and they become like fortune tellers. Well, you, you just know. The prophecy is always best understood once it's been fulfilled. So we trip ourselves up when we try to think the prophecies were written primarily to us. They were written to a first century audience, and they can apply to us when we see the same kinds of situations in our own land or in other lands like this. Babylon is still with us today. Uh, literal Babylon is gone. Spiritual Babylon still exists. Babylon is past present and future. In Babylon there is no fear of God. It is sin, the pleasures of sin, and the allurements of sin. And that's why her death causes so much mourning and sadness in the kings, the merchants, and seafaring men of chapter 18. So I'll look at that next time. But what I'd like to do today is do an overview of Revelation 18 under five headings. And excuse me, the first one's going to be the longest. So, you know, if you're looking at your watch and you say, oh, that was just number one, we got four more to go. No, don't, don't do that. Because the first one's going to be the longest uh, for reasons that you'll see. And we're going to do an overview here. 
But the idols of spiritual Babylon are also the idols of physical Babylon. And we're going to see that as we go into Isaiah and Jeremiah. So, let's read the first three verses of Revelation chapter 18. After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of a luxurious living. Okay. And we're going to see the lament of the kings, the merchants, and the seafaring men uh, the next time we're in Revelation. The first idol that we see is the idol of passion. You know, the idol of passion. And this is primarily in verse number 3. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. So just stay right here if you would. But... Um, I will read Isaiah 13, verse 11 for you. Isaiah 13, verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I'll put an end to the pomp of the arrogant, and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Now, God judged and judges nations and peoples. You know. In fact, uh, the reason nations fall primarily is the judgment of God. And if God allowed sin to go on unchecked, well, we would literally destroy ourselves. Okay, we've made that point before. Now, we've had a small taste in the past couple of years of sin going unchecked. And now you hear rumblings and you hear some talk and it's going on amongst the politicians, and it's going along amongst the people, it's going along amongst store merchants, uh, security is being ramped up, uh, there, are, there are attempts in some quarters to start punishing evildoers, and, and that's encouraging, I, I, and uh, that's not um, revival, but it's encouraging to see those things begin to start to happen, because if things kept on going the way they were going, allowing people to take over entire parts of cities and set up their own little nations, that, like we saw happen in Seattle and other places, if that were continued to go on unchecked, you can be guaranteed that the United, nation, the United States would not last as a nation, because we couldn't. We couldn't have that grow and grow and grow and grow and remain. So it's kind of encouraging to see that there's a turning, a true waking up instead of being woke. You know? Maybe we're waking up a little bit instead of being woke. doesn't mean that we'll turn back to God necessarily, but God will judge immorality and wickedness and sin. You know? So waking up doesn't always mean revival and turning to God. But sometimes it's just God and His providence causing people to realize the insanity of unbridled sin and that things are getting out of hand. You know. Well, you know, 
You ever hear some people talk? Uh, my wife was talking to me about something that she had heard. And so how can people think like that? How in the world can people say things like that? Of course, the Internet is the, the well of ignorance that much of this is drawn from. And she said, you know, how, how can they think like that? And then you remember the scriptures. Whom the God of this world has blinded their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and turn with their heart and, and uh, you know, and come to the gospel. And you just say, well, okay. You know, that's, that's how this, these kind of things happen, you know. And um, things can only go so far. Eventually something has to happen. And it may take a generation or two for that to happen. Now, you're still in Revelation verse 2, uh, which says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Uh, Revelation 18.2. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. And, and you see that literary device there, a haunt, a haunt, a haunt, uh, being given that way. Well, Isaiah 13, and I'll just turn us there. Um, you can you can turn there if you'd like, Isaiah 13. We'll, we'll be away from Revelation for a little bit and looking into the Old Testament. So Revelation chapter 13, verse 17. We see a specific prophecy being given. Literal Babylon will be overthrown by the Medes. Kind of an incredible prophecy because this happens um, a long time before Babylon even really as any kind of a national power, and well before the Medes become a national power. So much so that um, before the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, people just assumed uh, that uh, Isaiah never said that. It was written far, far, far later. And uh, Deutero-Isaiah wrote it, or maybe a third Isaiah wrote it. That was the speculation of critics. But uh, this is the word of the Lord. Isaiah thirteen seventeen. Behold, I'm storing up the Medes against them, Babylon, who have no regard for silver, no regard for gold. Their bows will slaughter the young men. They will have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will not pity children. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans, will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations, no Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherds will make their flocks lie down there. But wild animals will lie down there. Their houses will become full of howling creatures. Their ostriches will dwell, and their wild goats will dance. Hyenas will cry in its towers, and jackals in the pleasant places. Its time is close at hand, and its days will not be prolonged. Now, as Isaiah wrote this, Assyria was the real threat. Assyria had already captured the northern tribes, and they were coming for the southern tribes. And without the restraining hand of God, they easily would have overcome Jerusalem. But uh, Hezekiah, Hezekiah was the king. He prayed to the Lord, he sought the Lord. And uh, you can read it later in Isaiah 36 and 37, of how God miraculously um, upheld Jerusalem and Judah. Or if you want, you can read it in 2 Kings 19 and 20, which is almost exactly the same wording as Isaiah 36 and 37. Almost word for word, uh, it's the same thing. God tells it to us twice. Afterward, Hezekiah took sick, 
prayed to God. God added 15 years to his life, as you know. But emissaries from Babylon came, a far-off country, little known. And uh, he shows them all of his great wealth, shows them all the treasuries, does all of these sorts of things. And Isaiah has to tell him uh, that will be the downfall of you. But because you turn to me, it won't happen in your day. And uh, Hezekiah just kind of says, well, at least there'll be peace and safety in my day. You know, so anyway, you know, God did, uh, Hezekiah was a godly man, but godly men make mistakes too. Now what I want you to do is to turn to Jeremiah chapter 50. We are not going to read all of Jeremiah 50 and 51 tonight. These are long chapters, uh, but they all have to do with judgment against Babylon. Interestingly enough, Jeremiah was loved and appreciated by Babylon. They had high regard for him. When Jerusalem was captured, they took special care of Jeremiah and let him uh, decide what he wanted to do. And he said, well, I want to go back to to Jerusalem. So they let him go. They, They let him go back. Whereupon the evil people that were left in Jerusalem proceeded to capture Jeremiah and take him to Egypt, the very place where Jeremiah had said, don't go to Egypt, don't go to Egypt, don't go to Egypt. Babylon lets him go, sends him back home, and they capture him and take him to Egypt, where we would assume, um, well, at any rate, we don't know all the rest of the story. Anyway, God used Jeremiah to prophesy against Babylon. And they heard this prophecy. They heard it later, I'm sure, but probably later after they'd already let Jeremiah go. But um, uh, this is the prophecy. Now we're going to read just some verses from 50 and 51. I've got some scattered verses that I want us to read that you can get the idea of what's happening in Revelation because Revelation, almost all of it comes from the Old Testament. And so as we see these different things being spoken about, it'll help us as we deal with the five idols that we talk about tonight. So Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 1. The word that the Lord spoke concerning Babylon, concerning the land of the Chaldeans, by Jeremiah the prophet. Declare among the nations and proclaim. Set up a banner and proclaim. Conceal it not. And say, Babylon is taken. Bel is put to shame. Merodach is dismayed. Her idols are put to shame. Her idols are dismayed. For out of the north a nation has come up against her, which shall make her land a desolation, and none shall dwell in it. Both man and beast shall flee away. Verse 14, if you'd go there, please. Set yourselves array against Babylon all around. All you who bend the bow, shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Verse 24. And this is literal Babylon we're talking about. But it also can be true of spiritual Babylon. Verse 24. I set a snare for you, and you were taken, O Babylon, and you did not know it. You were found and caught because you opposed the Lord. Verse 28. A voice. They flee and escape from the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God. Vengeance for his temple. Of course, you know what they did to the temple. Verse 31. Behold, I am against you, O proud one, 
declares the Lord God of hosts, for your day has come, the time when I will punish you. Verse 39. Therefore wild beasts shall dwell with hyenas in Babylon, and ostriches shall dwell in her. She shall never again have people, nor be inhabited for all generations, as when the Lord overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities, declares the Lord, no man shall dwell there, and no son of man shall sojourn in her. Verse 46. I'm skipping things that would be good, but we are limited on time. You can read 50 and 51 yourself. It is absolutely the prophecies against Babylon. Verse 46 which goes right along with, with chapter, verse 2 of Revelation. At the sound of her capture of Babylon, the earth shall tremble, and her cry shall be heard among the nations. And of course, in chapter 18, we do have that uh, cry of the merchants, the kings, and the seafaring men. We move to Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51 has so much to do with verse 2 also, just as much of that did. Uh, verse 6. Flee from the midst of Babylon. Let everyone save his life. Be not cut off in her punishments. For the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment is being rendered to her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. We see a lot of that in chapter 17, don't we? The nations drank every wine, therefore nations went mad. Suddenly Babylon has fallen and been broken. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she was not healed. Forsake her and let us go, each to his own country. For her judgment has reached up to heaven and been lifted even to the skies. Verse 11. Sharpen the arrows, take up the shield. The Lord has stirred up the spirit of the kings of the Medes because of his purposes concerning Babylon is to destroy it. For that is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. Let's skip down to verse 37. Babylon shall become a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals, a whore and a hissing without inhabitant. Verse 45. Verse 41, sorry. How Babylon is taken, verse 41, how Babylon is taken, the praises of the whole earth seized, how Babylon has become a whore among the nations. Verse 45, go out of the midst of her, my people, let everyone save his life from the fierce anger of the Lord. Verse 48, then the heavens and the earth and all that's in them will sing for joy over Babylon, for the destroyers that shall come against them out of the north, declares the Lord. Babylon must fall for the slain of Israel, just as for Babylon have fallen the slain of all the earth. And then 60 to the end of the chapter. Well, let's, yeah, let's go back to verse 59. The word that Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, that as he went into Zedekiah king of Judah to Babylon. In the fourth year of the reign, Sariah was the quartermaster. Jeremiah wrote in a book, All the disaster that should come upon Babylon, all these words that are written concerning Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, When you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words and say, 
O Lord, you have said concerning this place that you will cut it off so that nothing shall dwell in it, neither man nor beast, and it shall be desolate forever. When you finish reading this book, tie a stone to it and cast it into the midst of the Euphrates and say, Thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster that I'm bringing upon her, and they shall become exhausted. I hope that you really put that in your mind, okay, about this prophecy being thrown into the river, okay, with a stone sinking down. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Okay. Now go back to Revelation chapter 18. So I hope you can see that was a large chunk, I know. It was a lot to put out there. But it's well worth looking at the entire chapter of Jeremiah 50 and 51. And we can see here in verses 1 through 3, let's start in verse 2, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then verse 4 is a warning. Then I heard another voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Now, if you've got a really good memory, you basically saw that in Jeremiah 50 and 51. Come out. Come out from Babylon. And the whole idea of going back into the land, Jeremiah had prophesied that for 70 years there'd be a captivity, but at the end of 70 years they'd be released. Isaiah had prophesied that Cyrus would be the one that would bring the release. Okay. Well, what does it mean for us here that Babylon is gone, physical Babylon's gone, and spiritual Babylon remains? Come out from her, my people, lest you partake in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. It doesn't mean go join a monastery. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean separate yourself from the world so that you no longer are part of the world or see anybody or, or no. It means don't be a Babylonian in the midst of Babylon. Don't partake in her sins. Don't be part of that. You know? You're in an evil place. You're in an evil world. Sin is all around you, but you don't have to be a partaker of it. And you can actually realize how wrong it is. One of the things I used to do with my kids when they were young, you know, um, we would have television night where we'd watch television. There are so many offensive things on every single television program you can watch. I mean, they just are, you know. So you can watch them and absorb them. And just, but what we would do is we'd watch a show, and Johnny can attest to this here, you know, we'd watch a show, and then we'd talk about what we saw. You know, what was there? What was good? What was bad? You know, and we'd discuss those things as a family. You know, and um, it was profitable, and it helps us to think, and to think properly, and to think biblically. You know, so while living in Babylon, which we do, don't become a Babylonian. It's the point. You know, and we got to keep our minds sharp. What's true? What's false? What's sin and what is righteousness? Now, 
We saw the idol of immorality. We saw it over and over and over again in Jeremiah 50, 51. We see it in verses 1 through 3 of 18. Uh, let's read 5 through 7. Okay. So I've come out from my people. Verse 5. For her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she's mixed. As she gloried herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Mourning not like the daybreak, but mourning like sorrow. I'll never see sorrow. You know, I sit like a queen. You know, I'm not a widow. It's the idol of self-sufficiency. An idol that we certainly see in our own culture, just like we see the idol of immorality. The idol of self-sufficiency. She's mounted up her sins to heaven with no conviction or remorse. No remorse. But God remembers. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's a universal law, still in effect today, and the only thing that can stop it is the grace of God and repentance. Here God pays Babylon back double for her sins. She's a murderer, drunk with the blood of the saints. She receives a double portion of judgment, and that's figuratively speaking, actually, what she receives is hell, the lake of fire and hell forever. Babylon was self-sufficient. She believed she could go on forever. I sit as a queen. I am no widow. I'll never see mourning. I'll never be overthrown. She worshipped false gods. And one of those false gods is what we see in our own culture, self-worship. And along with self-worship, luxurious living. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with, with living a nice lifestyle. That's, that's not what's being said. But it's really just like uh, the, the man uh, in the parable that Jesus told who became rich and wealthy and self-satisfied. And he said, um, well, what should I do? I think I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns so I can have even more and I can have more and I acquire more. And God says, thou fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. So really, where is our heart? The idol of self-sufficiency. Looking to self-sufficiency is what we're talking about. And looking to luxury. We already saw that as we uh, concluded there. I think maybe I read a little further than I intended to. Let me see. Uh, No, no, there's more coming here. Uh, The idol of luxury. Weeping and mourning on the earth from Babylon's lovers. They love her because they're like her. These are dwellers on the earth who have the mark. These are the merchants who get rich from her. And the idol of luxury. We saw two idols so far. Uh, Immorality, self-sufficiency, and now the idol of luxury in verse number 11. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, 
all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses and chariots. All those are well and good in their proper place, by the way, but not this one. And slaves, that is human souls. What a a shocking end of this list. Human beings being treated like cargo. Human beings being treated like animals. Human beings that are made in the image of God being absolutely misused. This is slavery of body and of soul. It can even include what we have come to know in our day as human trafficking. It's nothing new. It's been going on forever, you know. Nothing new at all. And um, we, we really see how evil it is to not realize that people are made in the image of God. And so the way it's put, um, actually, um, in the Greek... Uh, you don't see this translated this way very often, but it could be translated as, instead of slaves, that is human souls, it could be translated as bodies and souls. The trafficking in bodies and souls. You know. Well, if you're an alive, if you're a living body, you have a soul, right? So it makes sense. And when you really traffic a person, or buy and sell a person, or misuse a person. That's a living soul and a person that's made in the image of God. So making money off the very being of another human being is something that Babylon was um, notorious for, and it still goes on today. You know, actual literal slavery goes on today in certain parts of the world. We can thank God that slavery has been abolished in in our own country. But there are parts of the world where slavery still continues. And of course we see the human trafficking, uh, the misuse of people in so many ways. Well, that's the third idol. And really we're just going to to look at two more and look at them very quickly. Oh, by the way, I'd say this. There's nothing wrong with living in luxury. You know what's wrong? Covetousness. Covetousness. And you don't have to live in luxury to be covetous. You know, you can be as poor as anything. <laughs> I don't know what to say about poor as. You can be as poor as anything and be covetous. And covetousness, one of the Ten Commandments, and, and really it can be considered uh, of the second table, one of the chief commandments. You can't discipline, you can't church discipline covetousness because it's a matter of the heart. You know, the other things you can actually, some of them, most of them you can see them take place. But covetousness is an overarching thing. And it's an idol. And uh, it's destructive. You know. Let us guard our hearts from covetousness. The idol of self-deception. The idol of self-deception is found in verses 21 through 23. You can see we're just making a, a little bit of a walk through uh, chapter 18 right now. Then we'll actually see the lament of the lovers and the rejoicing in heaven. 
over the destruction of Babylon. Then a mighty angel, 21, a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down with violence and will be no more. How many times do we hear something like that in Jeremiah? And the sound of the harpist, of musicians, of flute players, and trumpets will be heard no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. Not the sound of a mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. Now, I hope you listened as I read that and heard something. It's another literary device that we're talking about. Edgar Allan Poe wrote a poem that, that stands as one of the, the great poems of, of, um, our, you know, of our English-speaking world. And it's The Raven, and I'm sure all of you are, are well aware of The Raven. And Edgar Allan Poe used a literary device, The Raven only saying, nevermore, nevermore, nevermore. And I don't know how much he knew about the Bible. I had no idea if uh, this might even been on his mind at all. But I can tell you, there's a literary device very similar to that being used here. Six times we hear, no more, no more, no more. Let me read it to you again. So Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. The sound of the harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. A craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. And then, for your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. Babylon's a sorcerer. Babylon's an enchanter. She thinks that she controls the demons, when in reality the demons control her. And she forgets that the very powers of hell are no match for God. Sorcery and witchcraft. And then just to conclude, the idol of persecuting Christ's church. We've seen this already in 17 verse 6. Let me find that here. 17.6 as you look back. Um, you know, 17.2 talked about their sexual immorality. You know, but uh, 17.6, um, Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the bloods of the saints, of the martyrs of Jesus. And here it is again in chapter 18. And this would be very encouraging for the first century Christians who had to deal with their own Babylon, which of their day was Rome. We know it was Rome. Actually, 17, verse um, 18 tells us that. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. And as the first century Christians heard that, they say, oh, we know who that is. You know? I already talked about the seven mountains. Rome was the city built on seven hills. So it was um, not a, not a two-veiled uh, thing. One of the reasons that we may think that Peter actually did go to Rome although many would deny that he ever went to Rome, 
and we can't uh, prove that he did, except there's an interesting phrase that says, she in Babylon greets you. Well, that's the end of, of, that's what Peter says. And you go, um, whoa, Babylon doesn't even exist. Yeah, it did. Oh, that was probably a veiled reference to Rome. Whether he was actually in Rome or, uh, and saying that, or whether there was some that were from Rome that he was with, one or the other. Um, but um, definitely he equates Babylon Peter equates Babylon with Rome, just as John does here. Okay, And we still have Babylon today. Babylon exhibits itself in in so many different ways. And the idol of persecuting Christ's church is one of those ways, verse 24. And in in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. She's a murderer, and she's especially a murderer of the people of God. And the idols under the altar, figuratively speaking, cry out for vengeance against her. And vengeance is coming. And vengeance will most certainly come. It came to literal Babylon, and no one lives there today. Just as God said. This great city. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It was a, a, a marvelous place. A beautiful place. Well, it's gone. It's gone, just like God said. And Rome. You say, well, the city of Rome's still there. Yeah. And I've never been to Rome, but I've seen pictures of ruins. <laughs> you know, people live in Rome still. They do. But uh, all throughout the city are the marks of what she used to be. And really is no more. And then her false religion lives on in the Roman Catholic Church. Roman Catholic Church. The idol of persecuting Christ's church. Babylon of the Old Testament and the New Testament persecuted the followers of Jesus just as Jesus told Paul in Acts chapter 9 that when you persecute Christians, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There's judgment coming for Islamic nations and those that would persecute and dare to take the lives of Christians, Nigeria being one of the hot spots right now of worldwide persecution of Christians. So we can thank the Lord for the relative peace and safety that we live in. Thank the Lord for that, but there's no guarantee it will continue. But we need to continue doing whatever we're supposed to be doing, which is proclaiming the gospel and caring for the souls of men and women and trusting the Lord. And the Lord has been so good to us. I've lived, uh, you know, for these 67 years, and um, the greatest amount of persecution I've received has been a little bit of inconvenience. You know, maybe it mocked a little bit. You know, maybe watching the news and being upset at the wickedness that you see, you know. And that's about the extent of the persecution that I personally have received, you know. But there are men and women that love the Lord, that have given their very lifeblood for the sake of God. And you know how they could do it? Maybe you're sitting there saying, I couldn't do that, you know. I'm afraid I'd deny the Lord uh, if I was in that particular case. 
You know what, child of God? Let me tell you, you probably won't be called to do that. But if you are called to do that, guess what? God will give you the strength to go through it. He absolutely will. That's what God does. He doesn't give you dying grace until you're dying. And he doesn't give you the strength of a martyr until you're a martyr. You know? So we can always trust the Lord, whatever our situation happens to be. God is faithful, and God will take care of his own people, and God will judge with vengeance those that are his enemies. But like you said this morning, how good it is when God turns, our enemy, or turns his enemies into his children. That's the greatest thing that can happen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Lord, help us now as we go to communion. We've looked therein at a lot of judgment. Well, it's a judgment passage that we're in. And the world laments your judgment when it comes. The world laments for a great reason that they see the destruction and in their own mind they think that we're next. And they are, unless they turn, unless they repent. They're next as they see the destruction. For all will stand at the last day before your throne, those on the left hand and those on the right. And we're just about ready to get there in the book of Revelation. So Lord, help us to live where we happen to be in your providence at this particular time. We don't know what's going to happen next, but nothing surprises you. You absolutely know and have planned and ordained what's going to happen next. So Father, we trust you, whatever circumstances befall, and help us to believe, Lord, that you will give us the grace to endure what we must endure for your name's sake. And we would give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.